There is no such thing as the perfect bite of food, okay. only the idea of it. And once you accept that to be true, then the real purpose of cooking becomes clear, and it's just to make people happy. Yeah. There is no such thing as the perfect bite of food. There's no such thing as the perfect cup of coffee. Well, welcome to the Austin Play Podcast. Brandon, Thank you. Brandon Acuna. Yeah. Uh, we've known each other for a little over a year. Yeah, about a year. Yeah. About a year. D- director of hospitality right now? Is that the word? Operations, Operations, I think, is the official title, but okay. everything's kind of under that umbrella. And I this suppose. is for Alive and Well, the whole uh, Forthright, yeah, Forthright, Altas, um, L's, L's, um, and then I help out at all the other ones. So Alive and Well, some stuff at Sweet Treats. I mean, people don't know. I think Alive and Well, Forthright Brunch Spot, Altas mm-hmm. Coffee, L's. Rest in peace. Very much, yeah. Gluten-free cafe, but attached to Alive and Well, though. Mm-hmm. What is your description of Alive and Well? Um, it is a compound pharmacy. Compound pharmacy. Yeah, compound pharmacy. The entire concept, I think, focuses on health and wellness in a more modern way that is not focused on pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Um, and that can be from the services they provide, um, whether it's their therapy sessions, the red light therapy, or the, the cold tanks, or the saunas, or the massage, or the acupuncture, um, their IV drip bags, everything like that. I think Alive and Well is looking for every avenue to be focused on being alive and well. And well. <laughs> <laughs> Very thoughtful name. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, no. That, that, that business is, is really great. Um, Do, is, what attracts you to that? Or are you into that sort of like and that approach? That came after my time. Started, oh, yeah. Because, okay. um, well, I get, Michael reached out to me kind of out of out of nowhere. Owner. Yeah. Founder. Um, mm-hmm. And he reached out to me just to have a conversation. Out of like, nowhere? Like, how um, does he find I, you? I honestly, I don't remember. Really? I don't remember. <laughs> I could have very well applied to something on Poached. Oh, okay. um, at the moment, I had taken like six months off from work. Yeah. Um, and was looking to get back into something. So I was just, you know, blanket blanketing everything and yeah. seeing what popped up. Um, and he wanted to have a conversation about his businesses. Um, and he asked me for a meeting to go sit down. We met at L's and asked for my feedback on what I thought. And I thought very quickly that they, they needed some help. Sure. Um, the best thing about Michael as a business owner is he gives a lot of full autonomy and trust to the people that he brings on, Yeah, which is great for a lot of businesses. And it's great for the employees of the businesses when a person that has industry experience is the one that is ultimately being able to build the culture and the way that the systems work inside of a business. Yeah, um, That's not something that we're always lucky enough to have. Uh, the downside is if you don't have people that can be fully autonomous or if they've reached a point where their career where they're just exhausted. And we went, that was 2021. So we were coming off of 2020, which was the, I think the hardest year of the three years period we've kind of been in right now. Mm -hmm. Um, It just needs some help, Um, needs some refinement and some polishing in all the areas. Um, And that was for L's specifically. We met at L's and that was the one that we talked about. Um, And then he in the middle of our meeting, he met. He got a text and said, "Oh, our barista at Forthright called out this weekend." Oh, and you're learning about this live. Mm-hmm. I was okay. like, "Oh well, you know, I if you need some help, I can just jump on. Like, All I can right. jump on. I'll make it work." 
Um, Go just get let her. me know. Go get her. Yeah, so I was like, I'll just jump <laughs> on Saturday, Sunday. Um, so then I showed up to Forthright and jumped on the bar Saturday, Sunday. And then Sunday afternoon rolls around. I was like, hey, Michael, is your barista coming back Monday? <laughs> I was like, you know what? I haven't heard from her. Right. I was like, okay, well, I'll stay on Monday. And then I ended up sticking around, um, jumping around all the positions. They need a lot of coverage. And like I mentioned, I just kind of looking to be busy again, mm-hmm. like taking enough time off of work. Um, and maybe like three weeks in, I just pitched them. I was like, I think you need like an internal, like long-term consultant. And I think the best thing would be to bring me on in some kind of capacity to take over all operations for whatever businesses you want to put underneath that title or umbrella. Right. I think what we learned in 2020 and going forward was we need to be a lot faster and a lot more flexible. Um, than we currently had the infrastructure to be. You know, a lot of bigger hospitality groups or even smaller ones, like all of our small groups here in Austin, you have so many specialized director roles where you had one person focusing on one specific thing, mm-hmm. like just beverage, just hospitality, culinary operations. Um, and when you have that many people need to coordinate really quickly on changing your entire business model, really fast turns into it's, a lot it's tricky it's yeah. really tough it's tough to coordinate amongst that many people for not even for bad reasons it's just really tough to coordinate something on that scale that fast um so i wanted to test out a new model which was um i think we're kind of like in matrix models right like traditional model is you have a a direct line to this person, a direct line to that person. You might have like a dotted line to that person, a dotted line reporting to that person. Mm-hmm. I wanted to try moving away from that and go to like a, a helix model. So there's just one person that says how things need to be done. And then you might have another person that's a little bit lower level that just decides what we need to do today. Okay. Um, so I just put in service managers or managers and they just needed to decide what do we need to do today. That gave them all the resources. I gave them everything they need to know. They could do all their counts. They could go through a, a flow chart of this is what's ahead of us. This is what we have on hand. This is what we need to have. So they just had to focus on making sure we have what we need to have when we're supposed to have it and it's where it's supposed to be. Right. They can focus on the task at hand. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then everything else just fell underneath my umbrella. So I... And how did that work on your end? I'm sure it works great for the people focusing on the one thing in front mm-hmm. of them. It worked well for me. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that, you know, a year and a half in, depending on... I think if it was, let's say, the same concept and scaled, that works really well. Now, the same concept, you mean like the business? Let's say if we had like one... Four, if we had five forthrights... I think that model could work really well. Okay. But the fact that we had a forthright and then a different business model and a different business model, yeah. um, that was the part that made it tricky because you can't lump together your flow of work. Right. right? Like right. I couldn't lump together all of my tasks throughout the week where like if it's the same concept, we're dealing with the same vendors, the same things on the same day at the same time, generally yep. speaking. Right. Having three different businesses, one of which is in a different city. There are a lot of different moving parts that I was having to focus on all the time. And, um, you know, peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys. Um, I thought that the most important thing that I could do during that period was make our staff as confident and comfortable as possible. Not a bad move. And I think, you know, with the staffing shortage that we were dealing with and still are, um, you know, it's predicated on people feeling like they weren't taken care of enough. Like, I think that's plain and simple. They just felt like people feel like they don't have a place to be taken care of and respected. 
and that's why we're kind of dealing with this. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to do the best I could to provide an environment that I think we all always wanted and sometimes had and sometimes didn't have. Um, and there are a lot of big things that I try to do and smaller things to just provide that for people over the year and a half that I've been here. And um, I think it worked out well. So you've alluded to this because a year and a half is this like stopping point kind of when you're talking about it because you are this is <laughs> yeah. kind of your send off. I suppose so. Yes. Yeah. You yeah. are. You are on to New York City. I'm moving to New York. New, moving next Wednesday. Could be a song. Moving to New York. Moving to New York on Wednesday. So you've been doing this, mm-hmm. um, but you know, at a good, at an appropriate time because the industry industry is shifting, right? How do you mean? I mean, towards, you know, like more workable hours, you know, vacation times, not tons of overtimes, maybe the the way a kitchen might be structured, mm-hmm. you know, like that's what I mean. Like, Yeah, it's definitely shifting to in be a positive more, way. yeah, in a positive way to be more, I don't want to say people friendly, I think to be well, more, to be more respectful of the fact that we are renting our body and our brain to a business. Sure. Yeah. And that just needs to be respected in a more human way. Yeah. And I think that that is the shift. But there's been pressure to make that shift, right? Oh, yeah. And that pressure now is, well, we need people. Mm-hmm. And if you need people, you just you have to go about it differently. Sure. Um, I think it's, it's great to see that shift. Um, but I also think it's just as important that I think people have learned, or not learned, I think people have been forced to find a space to hold for themselves and stand up for themselves and having our work kind of taken away from us for however long it was for some people. Right. And you have to sit in it and not have that creative outlet or source of income. And it's like, you know what? Why do I feel better and healthier through this crazy stressful situation? Right. It's like, oh, I was living under a baseline level of anxiety and stress and everything. Um, And I mean, that's a big part of it for me is I know now what I need and how to hold better, how to hold space better for myself and take care of myself better and how to prioritize myself better while also still prioritizing my creativity, which I'm fortunate enough. My creativity is derived through my work. Um, I love doing what I do. You're you're like an ideas guy. Yeah. I, I say like hospitality designer. Okay. I think is like the best way to describe like what my interests and skill set kind of lie in. Okay, I think um, that like clicks with what what I've heard that you know the ideas that you come up with. Hosp- that's a good description. Hospitality I'm designer. What, I, what you've heard? Oh, yeah, well, just model, or models. You've mm-hmm. like the helix idea. Oh, yeah, you, you yeah, know, yeah. I mean, just like that's a hospitality design. You know, and I think it's just a good umbrella for me to describe like the things that I like to do. I like to conceptualize um, from day zero. I. From everything, every single detail. I think that the second someone hears your name, they see a color, they see a font, they walk into your space, everything is all included into their experience. Right. And into taste. You know, there's this, there's this concept called psychotaste. Psychotaste. Psychotaste is everything that goes into taste. Okay. Except for taste. Except for taste. Yeah. Interesting. It's like, imagine when you walk into a cafe, yeah. right? And you might be a little bit busy that morning and you're like, oh, I'm in a rush. I need to get going. And it's a, it's a Wednesday morning at like 1030. You think it's fine. I've got time. I'll stop in this cafe. You walk in and there's a line and your first response is just, ugh. Right. So no, at that point, no matter what happens after that point, no matter how great a service they have, no matter if you have the perfect cup of coffee, which doesn't exist, 
<laughs> like no matter what happens after that point, that drink, that latte, that cup of coffee is going to taste worse to you than if you walked in, there was no line, you walked up to the counter, grabbed it and left. Okay. <laughs> Your perception of that I think a beverage lot of and drink coffee is because of that. <laughs> what? I deal with that quite a bit. <laughs> Going and seeing yeah. a line. It's like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, your perception of that experience immediately is diminished. Mm-hmm. It might be marginal. It might be a, a big difference depending on what your day was like before that or what your specific context is. Right. And that's a very unique challenge that we all have in hospitality, which is. Every single person that comes in, if we care enough and pay attention to it enough, it's our job to understand every single person's unique experience and context up until that moment. Sure. But we're never going to know that. So how do we create experiences that circumvent people's specific experience and context to allow them to have a very personal experience that gives them what they are seeking in that moment? I mean, that is a very mature way of looking at hospitality, <laughs> right? That's, I mean, I think a lot of, uh, you know, people who are basically, we, we do differentiate front of house or back of the house, mm-hmm. front, taking care of people, making sure they're happy. Yeah. That would be what you just said, <laughs> taking care of them, making sure they're happy. But like, actually, there's so much more to it, right? Yeah. I love the science of it. Yeah. And I think that's what really got me really connected into hospitality. Um, it was still when I was working in specialty coffee. Um, and I found this professor, his name's Charles Spence. He's a professor in Oxford. And he's done... Uh, at that point, he was really one of the only people, if the only person doing research into a multidisciplinary science called gastrophysics. Okay. Gastrophysics is all the physical things that can manipulate your perception of taste. Um, and I just dove in. I've read... I think I've read hundreds of his research papers. Okay. I'm that person. Like when you, every now and then, if you've ever tried to look up a research paper and you realize you have to pay for it, I'm like the one person that subscribes to all those services so I Boy. get access to all of his research papers. Um, and I just dove in. It was crazy because to me, I love puzzles. Okay. And the most unique puzzle, I think, are, is us, sure. as people. Sure. And gastrophysics and, you know, all, all of that realm of thinking, I think, gives us a structure and a formulaic way of designing things through science. Um, but it's it's real. It's not it's not a pseudoscience. Right. Um, there are very real studies and a lot of real science that goes into understanding how um, certain things, certain colors, or certain textures, or certain weights, or certain sounds, or the volume of sounds, um, the the. The study that he won a, uh, I think it was a Nobel Prize, a Nobel Prize for it was called the Sonic Chip. Um, so I think they, they took 100 individuals and put them in a sound booth, put headphones over their ears with a mic in front of them, and it was just a direct loop from the mic into their headset. And they had like 80 different Pringles sitting okay. in front of them. So this is not a computer chip? No, no, no. no, no. This is a, a literal potato chip. Okay. The Sonic um, chip. The Sonic chip. There's all these good band names I'm hearing. Sonic chip. <laughs> the, what was the psycho? Psycho taste. That's a good yeah. one. That could be a um, podcast. <laughs> um, so they have uh, these like 80 different Pringles and sitting in front of them. And they're told, great. So all of these chips are from different cans over various different periods of time. We just want you to eat them and rate their freshness. That's it. Oh, and they're hearing. Like and they're a hearing super it. Crisp. Mm-hmm. 
So, do they play like a false one? Like they eat the old one, but they hear like a nice crisp. Close. So they're all from the same can. Okay. And what they were doing was they were manipulating the pitch from the mic into their headphones. Oh, interesting. So as they pitched down, everyone rated the chips as being more stale and like literally like softer. Right. They they didn't just think like oh these because there's no crunch, they're stale. <laughs> they also noted that they thought they were physically biting into chips That's that crazy. felt softer. Yeah. And then as they pitched up, fresher, crunchier, crispier. It's it's it's, it's like everything is playing together, right? Everything. What you're seeing, what you're smelling, what you're all what of it. feeling. Everything goes into taste. I should like pitch these mics up when we're doing the pod. <laughs> see if we get better results. Everybody's more positive. Pitch them down one day and be like, this sucks. Very Such sad. A gloomy day. Mm-hmm. It is kind of gloomy today though. I like it. You like the seems, gloomy? Uh, today. I've been working so much recently. This is like a nice way to just support my a lot of work. Relaxation. Oh yeah. I've I've seen I've seen the work. <laughs> I mean you're leaving, so you're mm-hmm. trying to kind of like piece together everything. But yeah. but off of this study, sorry, because mm-hmm. it it is very interesting that they they just hear this, they make the, so yeah, there's a lot that goes into it and when you were saying like colors matter, like colors can mean certain things. Just where I like really quick had this play out in my head where like somebody comes in designs a whole place and then you get somebody who knows and they're like, "Oh, wrong color." This is a horrible color for this. <laughs> I think that all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I think that with coffee cups. Um, okay. okay. Um, what are the tones like? What colors well, are we looking so for? So let's say, for for instance, um, there was a restaurant in the UK many years ago. Um, they had a course where they brought out four spoons with four different spherified liquids on it. Okay. And each liquid was a different color. So the captain would walk out and walk these out to the table and say, one would be white, one would be green, one was pink, and one was brown. They would set these in front of each person. The captain would come out and say, great. The chef recommends starting with bitter, moving to salty, going to sour, and finishing with sweet. And then they walked away. So the pink is the sweet one. Pink is sweet. Right. Green, sour, brown, bitter, white, salty. Okay. But when you're there and you're in the front of like all your peers yeah. and like friends and strangers, right. and you get confronted with something as esoteric as that, right. for the first time in your life, you have to think about it. No one ever got it wrong. So if no one had ever told you that in your life... That white was salty, brown was bitter, green was sour, and pink was sweet. But we all know it, right? That's all in our brain already. Right. That is already in our system and our way of thinking, our way of perceiving and building our own expectations for flavor. Um, And that's in everything. So, for instance, um, there's another study that they did where they um, put uh, a color inside of a box, and then they made a border with another color. And they were rating which color is the most contrasting based off what color is inside and what how we perceive it. So if it was uh, a white border right. with purple, it's like, great. Well, we already perceive purple as being sweet. But if we put purple inside of white, it increases our perception of sweetness because white is a very contrasting color. Okay. So the study really it, it provided information and support that white is a very contrasting color and increases your perception of the color that is inside of it. And... They offer that study, they did another one where they would just use coffee cups. And Harvard did a study like early 2000s that uh, light blue was the best color for coffee to increase your perception of sweetness. Okay. Um, which, you know, like blues, pinks, purples are all going to do about the same. All right. um, but white, scientifically speaking, is like the worst color to use and because as like we just talked common. about, brown is yeah. bitter. 
in coffee we all perceive as already being a bitter product. And it is. It's inherently very bitter. Um, even the best coffees, it's bitter. Uh-huh. So if you put a, a liquid, a color that we perceive as bitter, and you want people to think it's not bitter, and you put it in white, it right. increases your perception of bitter. Like the most checkered off-white diner cup mm-hmm. on the side of a highway mm-hmm. everywhere, yeah. all over the U.S. <laughs> um, the hard part is, is there are no cup manufacturers really that make the inside of cups different colors. They have like drip mugs, like drip coffee mugs that are all one color. Um, I've looked everywhere over the years. No, wait. You mean the interior mm-hmm. of the cup? Almost every manufacturer. Like some of my... like. I used to collect coffee cups and we would like at one of the coffee shops I worked at, one of the owners and I would use like digital calipers and measure every angle of them and like try and figure out like, oh, what handle size do we like at what angle? Like really? the curvature of the lip. How do we like to drink <laughs> out of it? Is it better for creamier drinks or for um, drip coffee? Is our perception of sweetness the way it pours in your mouth? Does it stop you from slurping instead of like just drinking it? Um, and yeah, there just really isn't a cup manufacturer that's really nailed ceramic. Wow. Um, at Alta, I moved us all to glass for that reason because glass is great okay. um, for multiple reasons, like thermodynamic reasons. It keeps the coffee a little bit hotter okay. um, because they're so thick and heavy. But also, we're using pink cups. So it's like pink glass. All of our drinks are in pink uh, glass. Are they? Yeah, they're pink glass. I like the curvature, like the, the lip thickness, everything. It's all great. But finally being able to move away, having a solution where I can move away from using white yeah, um, and not be like custom and like... $20 per cup. Right. Was a great a great thing to have. I mean, I have to say that this is a level of like nerd like you're <laughs> really into this like Oh yeah. like the details, the nuances, like measuring cups. Mm-hmm. Like I love it. I I get like this over certain things. Um I jokingly say I'm an entrepreneur of all things cuz I right. can get like obsessed over certain things, learn everything about it mm-hmm. onto something else, but you had already said there's no such thing as a per- perfect cup of coffee. Is that like a known saying? Like, Oh, yeah. I mean, that's – I always think of this Thomas Keller quote. Okay. There is no such thing as the perfect bite of food, okay. only the idea of it. And once you accept that to be true, then the real purpose of cooking becomes clear, and it's just to make people happy. Yeah. There is no such thing as the perfect bite of food. There's no such thing as the perfect cup of coffee. Sure. Right? Because then if you're talking about the perfect bite or the perfect cup of anything, then you're talking about flavor. Mm-hmm. And you're not talking about taste. You can execute taste. We have control over taste. You know, sour, sweet, salt, bitter, umami, um, the other tastes that are arguable. Yeah. But you don't have control over flavor. Because flavor is a very personal experience. Sure. Flavor science is something that is very personal. And we can't. So I like flavor notes. Like when I was working in coffee, flavor notes is um, a huge thing. Same thing in wine. Um, Which is also like a level of like nerddom, like where you're like picking out like it's got, I mean, it takes a lot, I think, mm-hmm. to be able to pick those things I out. I think it's, it's mostly confidence. Confidence. It's mostly confidence, yeah. Or yeah, maybe if you're tasting enough with someone who you also trust and know, mm-hmm. you can say, oh, I do taste this in this now. Because if you left me alone, I'd be like, I, I, wood chip? I don't know. But no one says that. They might say oak. <laughs> I think it's it's being able to draw connections in your brain across different memories of flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're tasting something, like on coffee bags, flavor descriptors drive me nuts. Do they? They're all bad, <laughs> I think. Um, I, like some of them, like um, what's one that's always on coffee? Stone fruit. Stone. stone fruit is one that's always used for coffee. It's like, oh, it tastes like stone fruit. 
Stone fruit is so many things. Right. Technically, coffee is a stone fruit, and right. almond is a stone fruit, peach, avocado. So just saying something tastes like stone fruit when vague. really what we mean is it tastes like peach. Okay. When someone when a barista tells you it tastes like stone fruit, they mean it tastes like peach or nectarine. Right. Um, it's like it's juicy. It's a juicy, sticky sweetness, like right. kind of sticky sweetness. Is it a, Does it actually have a sticky sweetness? No, but it's reminiscent of that kind of sugar quality that you would have in like a peach nectar. Or a pear, or I know it's not a stone fruit, but those types of fleshy so, fruits. So would we prefer just say peach on that kind of description? I mean, they they there's a double edged sword because it gives people something to grasp onto, which is the point of them, so that when they're shopping for coffee, they don't have to just know they don't have to know origins like you do in wine. When you go shopping for wine, it's a nightmare because you don't know when you walk into a grocery store, you know what you want to taste, but Good luck finding what you want to taste in a, in a wine section in a grocery store because it's all arranged by origins. Like, I want to taste the red wine that tastes like this, this, and this. Like, great. Well, there's old world. There's new world. Right. Go find it. Yeah. It's tough. Things are organized by how we want to shop for things. Coffee, that's the way of doing it, is allowing people to shop for what they want to taste. The downside of that is most people aren't going to be satisfied with their experience because they're going into it expecting to taste those things and they're never going to taste those things more often than not. Right. Unless it's a specifically like a certain style of processed coffee. Um, there are processing methods in coffee that can give you like really overwhelmingly like obvious and very um, clear flavor notes. But for most of the coffee that you're drinking, most people have never had those types of coffees. I mean, we've seen a boom in coffee. Mm-hmm. I mean, when was the shift in coffee? Because like we grew up, it was like Folgers, mm-hmm. right? And then now, listen to you're measuring coffee cups. Yeah. I mean, I don't think our parents or anyone around was doing it then. Oh yeah, they were. Oh, were they? Yeah, maybe our parents weren't. Okay. But I think right. something important to know about like yes, coffee is has really progressed in the last thirty years. Yeah. Um, some of the best specialty shops started in the nineties, like your okay. counterculture. Um, well, now I'm blanking on the other ones, but there are a lot of really great big coffee shops, Intelligentsia, Countercultures, oh, Stumptown, yeah. those big, um, you know, they were the leaders and still are, I think. they get People like to throw shade at them because, um, you know, they took on a lot of investment, but they do a really great job. And as much as I love small specialty shops, sometimes if I'm in a new city and I want good coffee, I'm more likely to go to a blue bottle than go and chance it at another one. Right, right. Well, you know Because uh, I know getting. it's going to be really good. Is yeah. it going to, am I going to get the most interesting coffee in the world? No. But that sometimes that's just not what I want. Yeah. Um, I, I really love going in and expecting consistency. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that boom, I don't know if I could confidently speak on that when, when that really I, happened. But I think uh, a lot of times when I talk about like the, the it's like it all lines up with the internet. Like when mm. knowledge was like spread everywhere, it's like, oh, like here, just Google how to do this. Yeah. So, yeah. And those big companies like, you know, your Maxwell House, your Nestle's, they've known what we're learning now for so long. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember reading a, um, a book that came out in the, in the 90s and it was, a, I think it was a green coffee buyer from Starbucks. One of the original green coffee buyers from Starbucks wrote this book okay. in the 90s. And there's this piece of technology. It's a little piece of equipment that we use in coffee. Started using it maybe within the last 10 years called a refractometer. Um, a lot of people use different types of refractometers in the beverage world. This one, you set it with distilled water and it refracts light and it says, great, now I know that this liquid has no solids in it. 
And then when you put another liquid on it, when it refracts light, it says, hey, this percentage of this liquid is solids. Mm -hmm. And that gives us our number for what coffee strength is, like a physical number. So like drip coffee on average is going to be about 1.2 to 1.5% strength. And the rest of it's going to be water. So coffee is 98.6% water. Okay. Generally speaking. Like this coffee that's right in front of me, because I built the recipe for them, I know is 98.6% water. <laughs> and where was that again? The Meteor. Okay. Great place. So um, what is like like French, a French press like versus drip? Depends on how people make it. Yeah. Uh, but generally speaking, you won't be able to get a filtered cup of coffee above 2% strength unless you're doing something crazy. Yeah. It's always going to be somewhere in the ones. Somewhere you, in the ones. Do you prefer a drip? Usually. Yeah. Um, I don't like just straight espresso anymore. Um, what there's about a the t- French press? Is that? It's not my favorite method. Yeah, I like really clean cups of coffee. So like okay. more like thicker filters. Is that because um, there's like oil residue mm-hmm. from the French press? Oil residue. If I make my own French press, then I, I'm more inclined to like it than if I got it like in a cafe or something. Let me ask this because it's always um, intrigued me because I make French press every morning. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I had heard once, four minutes. So I literally set a yeah. timer for four minutes, yeah. and then someone said you need to do it longer. So now I do five minutes. Yeah, but and I don't have like a you know ceramic burr or sure. anything going. I just have a so like a blade grinder. Uh, you know, I I know that it will if I do it too hot. Mm-hmm. I think it's like a it's probably like a boat, like the most common. You know, it's from Amazon, but I just press it and pulse it so it doesn't. But you know. Right. Are you yeah. following my yeah, yeah, yeah. archaic way of explaining my coffee? But then I just let it go for five minutes. Mm-hmm. Is there like a better oh, yeah. way? Yes. <laughs> Have you heard the expression, it tastes like chicken? I want to tell you about the highest rated chicken farm in the South. Greener Pastures Chicken raises organic pasture-raised birds in Elgin that the top chefs in Central Texas have been putting on their customers' plates like it's nobody's business. They're USDA-certified organic, non-GMO project verified, real organic project certified, certified humane, and go Texan. They're in the final stages of becoming the first poultry farm nationwide to obtain regenerative organic certified status. You heard that right. They're humane, they're sustainable farmers, and they are the chicken of choice for the top chefs in Central Texas. For those of you who love to cook at home, you can pick up locally Greener Pastures Chicken at People's RX and Dias Market, or you can have it shipped to your home courtesy of Farmhouse Delivery. It doesn't just taste like chicken. Is there like a better oh, yeah. way? Yes. Yeah. So um, French press is one that is very misrepresented, yeah. and I think to everybody. Yeah. So. A lot of people, and see the vast majority of people think you need to use a very coarse grind with a French press. Okay, yeah. That is not correct at all. Like, all right. That is just not the way to do it. Okay, um, number one. I'm yeah, cha- number changing one, lives here. It should be about the same coarseness as if you're doing uh, any kind of drip coffee. Any kind of like, if you have a Mr. Coffee Brewer or if you're doing a pour over, it's pretty close to that. It's like medium coarse. Okay. So if you have a grinder that goes zero to 10, you're probably around a six. Okay. Somewhere, somewhere around a six, generally speaking. Okay. Um, reason being, right, the whole idea behind extracting or brewing coffee is you want to make the same amount of coffee, touch the same amount of water for the same amount of time. Wow. That's never going to happen. So the best way we can do that is manipulate the water in a sense that it's touching as much of the coffee for the same amount of time as long as possible. And then we also need the coffee particles to be the same size. 
Okay. Right. So if you have coffee that's like a size eight and you're just letting the water sit there with no agitation, it's not going to extract. So know, that water needs help to get those bigger particles. So are we stirring it then? Well, one, we're going to use a smaller particle size. That's going to help us. We need more surface area. Okay. Uh, two, this is going to be a much longer French press method. Okay. That's fine. Um, I mean, like, let's yeah. let's do this. <laughs> so we're almost going to approach it like, um, do you know what a cupping is? Like doing a coffee cupping? No, I just... Like, it's not it's like, like roasters suction. evaluate their... <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> coffee suction cups. Um, it's how like uh, coffee roasters evaluate their, their, their batches, okay. um, where they just take a cup, put coffee, pour water, let it sit. So that's what you're going to do. You're going to oh, pour all your that. water all at once. Yeah. No, we don't need to bloom or anything for a French press. Okay. Because, the, again, we want the same amount of water touching the same amount of coffee for the same amount of time. We don't just need look. to stir it or anything? Well, well, so you pour all your water in right. and then immediately stir to make sure everything is saturated. For how Let long? it sit. Okay. Eh, just until you don't feel any clumps. Okay. okay. You just want to make sure every, there's no clumps. Everything okay. is all homogenous. Another thing I've been missed. Yeah. I've been like sitting there for minutes on end sometimes. No, you just... I mean, that'll, that'll definitely help. It's, okay. Um, but you just need to start to make sure there's no clumps. And okay. then you're going to let it sit. Right. You're going to let it sit. You're going to put the lid on, but not plunge it. Just let it sit on top to keep the heat in. Yeah. Come back to it two minutes later. You're going to look at it. There's going to be a crust on top. All the coffee is going to have floated up yeah. to the top. Yeah, yeah. Stir it again. Okay. Let it sit. Okay. For eight minutes. Eight minutes. And again, don't plunge it. <laughs> okay. All don't right. plunge it. All right, just, just keep the top on. I'm reevaluating how I'm going to do my morning right <laughs> yeah. now. Okay. Um, and then when you come back, take the plunger off, and you're going to see there's like some like kind of scummy stuff on top, like oils and stuff. Uh-huh. Take two spoons. You don't have to do this step. I like to do it because it makes an even cleaner French, okay. French press. So you can take like two spoons, and you're going to over like lay them in the top, yeah. and you're just going to skim the top. And then throw those oils away. Kind of like if you're making a stock. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Similar. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And then you'll put the plunger on. And here's the trick. You're not going to plunge it. We don't use the fresh the French press plunger. Because those eight minutes, you let it rack. So you let all the coffee settle to the bottom. And it's now stuck to the bottom. Oh. So you just filtered your coffee, letting the coffee filter itself. And you don't need to plunge it. Because if you plunge it. So the coffee will sink to the bottom. Mm-hmm. So if you plunge it, you're going to push all that coffee up. You're going to get more oils, more everything. It's going to be not as sweet, not as clean of a cup. So how do you... So you're just going to... Well, it's a filter, right? Oh. Your plunger has a screen on it. So it's You're going to press that hair. just below the okay. surface, and yeah. then you're just going to slowly pour all your coffee out. <laughs> and it's going to be a really great cup. Okay. This is not uh, my method by okay. any means. Okay. Uh, if you're ever interested in finding this exact method, go on YouTube, type in James Hoffman French Press. All right. And there then just go. watch all of his videos. Shout out he's, James Hoffman. Yeah, James Hoffman, uh, true <laughs> icon. Okay, so that's that's really good to know. <laughs> I think I trust your version more than I would ever trust anyone's or James Hoffman's. But yeah, because I have been doing this for years. I have been drinking French press for the mm-hmm. longest time and obviously doing it, I don't know, however. Yeah, I love French press. I drink a lot of African coffees on French press. Any okay. coffee that's like really uh, fruity tasting and... Um, floral. Yeah. I find that those are the really the only coffees that I'll enjoy on a French press. Okay. Um, I love them. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would like to get into a pour over, but I just never have. It's, <laughs> it's it's very simple, right? It's one cup of coffee, though. Yeah. You can find bigger ones, but generally speaking, there's the people always refer to them as brew methods. Mm-hmm. They're just filtering methods. You brew coffee pretty much the same way, right? Water, touch coffee, same amount of time. Yeah. That's the goal, and then you're just using different angles. 
and a little bit different agitation methods. Yeah. But really the biggest difference is going to be the paper filter. The paper filter is going to make a bigger difference than anything else. Like if it's a cone filter versus a flat bottom, sure, that's a big difference. But if you have like 12 different cone brewers, they're all going to be about the same. It's just going to be about the paper filter you're using. Okay. If you have like 12 different flat bottom brewers, those will all be the same. Again, just imagine the amount of restriction or holes that are in the bottom and the paper filter will be really the only difference. Now, the coffee makers themselves, mm-hmm. I, I had... Um, Found this brand. Um, I can't remember the name. Technivorm? That's right. That's it. And this is probably through the grapevine where that mm-hmm. probably came from you in, in some way or another where I heard of this. Is that a the good? The Mocha Masters? Does that work? Is that good? Yeah, they're great. Yeah. Yeah. I just like, I'm like, if it's, I, my coffee mm-hmm. works the French press, why would I get that kind of thing? But it's, it's easy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a lot easier. I like having, I had a, like a Breville. And it had like a timer on it, mm-hmm. and it would grind the coffee. It was an awful coffee maker, but the thing I would like is I at like six a.m. I would it would wake me up. They would be grinding coffee. Walk downstairs, I'd have coffee. See, you don't get that with the nice. French press, yeah. Yeah, I think manual brewing is more about the connection you have to it, and yeah. again, experience design, psycho taste. Yeah, like you you're yeah, going to enjoy your French press more than a automatic brewer. It's a ritual. Yeah. 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 You want to like get into it's the whole the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean Yeah, there's there's a lot a lot of aspects to it. Like some leading up to it can be more exciting than actually drinking it. It's like getting in line, right? You get in line. If there's a long line, you're like, the hell with this. But yeah. if you walk right up, you're like, this is gonna be great. <laughs> I also hate waiting in line, so I'm very biased. I don't like waiting for, for things. Oh, you're like not that. a fan of lines? No. So I hate like lines. you also mentioned Offline on a different day, mm-hmm. not getting not getting in a car. So I mean, if you don't like lines, I'm sure the Mopac and 35 are things that you are. Very... I don't like sitting. I mean, not it's not revolutionary. I don't right. like sitting in traffic. I don't like it's waiting. Awful. The same person. I don't like driving around looking for a parking spot. I'm just yeah. going to go to the very back of the lot, park and walk. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's healthy. <laughs> There's yeah. people who are like fighting for the front. It's mm-hmm. like just I just don't care. I just want to don't care. Just want to move on. Hey, you're you're more likely not to have your car all dinged up. Mm-hmm. You're going to get some more steps in that day. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. And you're not going to stress yourself out waiting for the one space that really doesn't matter. <laughs> but yeah, so you, New York, no plans for a car. No, I'm leaving my car here. Oh wow. Yeah. Oh, so you're going to have connection to Austin. You're going to still come back. No, I oh, think my um, someone in my family is going to come pick it up. Oh, okay. And then um, we'll see. I'm going to give it like six months or a year and see how I, I feel, if I want it back or not. Um, I don't want to pay for a parking spot. I am living in Manhattan, so I don't feel like I'm definitely not going to be driving around Manhattan. Right. Um, the only benefit is I really I go climbing a lot. Um, I go camping a lot. Um, but I, you know, I'll just rent a car. I think it's easier than the expense of having a car there all the time just to be able to pop out of the city every now and then. Right. Do you climb um, down there by Barton, the... The Greenbelt? The Greenbelt, yes. There's always Um, climbers down there. Yeah, I I used to climb at the Greenbelt a lot. Um, I really mostly climb at Rhymer's Ranch now over at Bee Cave. It's actually really close to where Live and Well is at. Yeah. Yeah, there's hundreds of routes out there. It's great. And it's on the Colorado River. And no one's ever over there. It's very quiet. It's like a climber's haven. Well, that's way better because mm-hmm. the Greenbelt's always, just tons of people there. Yeah, it's like tons of people. It gets feet. really humid at the Greenbelt. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and the the it's a great place to climb. It's really overclimbed there. So all of the routes, like it might be rated like a certain number, but because it's been climbed so much over the last like 30, 40, 50 years, um, it climbs a lot harder. Everything is very smooth just from so many people touching the rock. Oh, wow. Um, and I just, I climbed it so much when I got here. We've climbed almost everything that's within my ability. Boring. Yeah. <laughs> everything else that's above my ability. It's like, oh, well, I'm not, I'm still casual enough where I'm not going to get up to those, those high, high, high grades. So, would you ever free climb anything? No. Never. <laughs> no. I don't even boulder outside. I I'll bold, I go to bouldering gyms, but I don't want to boulder outside. Yeah. It's not for me. Yeah. Like, no shade towards anyone else. I just. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I, um, no. I but what's that guy, the free, free? Alex Honnold. Is that the guy who's mm-hmm. like, he's insane. Yeah. That's always just like the craziest thing ever to watch. Because mm. you're like, when are, when do we hear about him? Like, no more, no more Alex. Because it's so great. You don't want to say that. Knock on wood. You just said it. I, but like, it's just like awful watching him because it's it's amazing. Mm-hmm. But it's like, what are you thinking? <laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean, he practices a lot. People don't know. Like, he climbs that route with a rope for a year. Oh, yeah, yeah. Over and over and over and over again. Right. Um, and I think the way that he describes it is like, yes, it is dangerous. But it's not really risky. It's like an orchestra him. getting ready for a performance, right? Like they're practicing, practicing, and then there's the performance. Mm-hmm. Like he's like leading up to it in a way. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, I picked your brain about coffee, right? I mm-hmm. have to ask, like, with all the hospitality, like design, they're like, how did you get into like the culinary world in the first place? Or yeah. Um, so I guess from San Antonio, we didn't mention yeah, this, but you're... I can kind of, I can go through it all real quick. Sure. Um, yeah, from San Antonio, um, lived there pretty much all of my life, except for two years. I lived in McAllen for when I was in sixth and seventh grade. Okay. Um, went from San Antonio. I went to college at LSU for classical saxophone performance and music education. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, I did not leave with a degree. I oh. left about Three years in. Okay. Um, That's a good stretch, though. Yeah, I mean, I, I loved it. I loved my time there, and it's very special to me. And I still play, um, still teach every now and then. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, I mean, that's saxophone is when I started teaching. Um, I started teaching private lessons when I was a sophomore in high school. All right. I don't know who thought it was a good idea to let a sophomore in high school teach their middle school kids like private mm-hmm. lessons. They paid me money to do it, but I'm very grateful for it. It yeah. gave me a head start. So I've been cool. teaching for 16 years. All right. Um, so went to school for music. Uh, I left and then t- accepted a retail manager job for a sneaker company. A sneaker company. Uh, a sneaker you company. Say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I was a. Uh, Don't mind me. Yeah, I was a manager for that company out in Destin, Florida, for a little over a year. Does the company have a name or no? Yeah, Finish Line. Oh, Finish Line. Yeah, I worked for Finish Line. Okay. Um, I was. Uh, I managed that store out in Destin, Florida, for a little over a year, and then I moved back to Texas to be close to family, mostly my dad at the time. Also with Finish Line. Yeah, so I moved back to Texas. I was still working with Finish Line. Um, and I always told him, I didn't know how long I was going to be doing it. I didn't know how long I was going to be happy doing that. But I was. I was really happy. I loved what I was doing. Um, I loved 
sneakers. I was going to say, you have to be some sneakerhead. I say I'm a reformed sneakerhead now. Reformed? Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, but yeah, no, 100%. I was no. fully in that culture. Are we in into it. like, um, what would you call it? Like the drops that would come or... or oh, yeah. I mean, when the amount of friends and connections you make working in those stores, yeah. you so quickly have the ability to grab pretty much whatever you want. And the manager that hired me um, in Louisiana. So I, the, the store I worked at was in the mall, Louisiana, which was a, one of the crazier stores to work in, in the country. Oh, that was where the Concord shooting happened, the oh. space jams. Okay. Um, and I saw a lot of that craziness. There are times like we had to be escorted into the, the store, into the mall by security, um, right. on release days. Um, I couldn't wear my, my employee shirt walking Whoa. in the mall. So insane. Um, I had people come up and like scream at my door to like hold them shoes and like threaten me. Oh my people God. used to rush the store. We'd have to like slam the gate down and run to the back. Like it was a it was a crazy moment. Everybody's in sneaker culture shoes. then. Everyone <laughs> <laughs> has to wear shoes. It was a crazy moment in the the Jordan um, you know, re releases then um to be a part of. Um, but the manager that hired me, he ended up moving on to be a buyer and then he, for the company. So he was always in tune with what was coming down the line. So anytime he thought that I'd be interested in something, he's like, Hey, you should look at these and go find a place to get them. He wasn't helping me get them, but he was telling me like, these like, are the, like, Hey, they seem like your style. These are coming down. Who's, this is the stores so that these are the companies that are going to have them. This is where they're going to drop at this business, this business, this business. Um, so I always like when I, I had the ease of communication and knowledge to know when things were going to be coming and where they were going to be coming to made it really easy to spend a lot of my money. (laughs) So it's easy to spend money, but you can also like flip things. I, you didn't. Oh, I did. Oh yeah. (laughs) Um, I had, there was a point uh, when the red October Yeezys came out, the Nike Yeezys back when you still with Nike. Um, I was sitting in a hotel room and I bought two pairs and then I never received them. I bought them, had them in my cart, Tweeted that I had them in my cart. I bought a size eight and size thirteen because those are the hardest ones to find. Okay. <laughs> and then posted it on Pro Twitter, um, and then people bid on them. And Someone you know. paid me, and I put in their shipping address, so I never even came to me. Oh, I see. I yeah. see. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. those were like, it was a it was a lot of money for shoes that people yeah. were paying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you missed that. I mean, there's like a level of. If the drop is at like seven, whatever, Mm -hmm. and you get on there and you want it and like, boom, gone. Yeah. A lot of people are like in the moment there and they will drop way more money to get it because it just seems so desirable. Yeah. I never, I don't, I think I only ever paid above retail once and it was for a pair of Kobe 8 Venice Beaches, which I still have. They're in my closet. Okay. (laughs) Um, And that was that. worn? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I actually, I actually play in those. I always like found it like people spend so much money on sneakers sometimes, yeah. and then I am wondering. Oh, There's some you wear that it? I didn't wear. Some yeah. that some I didn't wear. A lot of the Jordans that I would buy, I was like, oh, I'm just gonna sit on these. Like, yeah, those were shoes. Like I loved being a part of that community, but Jordans weren't what I I loved. Yeah. So when I would buy some. I would just kind of sit on them. Like yeah. I would just like dead stock them. And then eventually I would, you know, put them back out and see what they were going for. It's, it's such but a, most of the shoes I bought, I wore. Does it ever like make your head like you find yourself scratching your head about like sneakers? Cause like there's all these little worlds for everything. Mm-hmm. Like even like backpacks I've gotten into somehow. I see. I right. know. You don't have to tell me. Right. See. Yeah. But there's like, and then there was a point where I was like, well, you're never going to have to have 
you know, this many backpacks. And suddenly I'm like, why do I have all these? And they're doing drops, mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, but it, 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 it I feel seems... like seriology really changed things yeah. for that. Yeah. And yeah. it seems silly to me, though, when I have like six of the same size backpack, but I still have them. Right. Have you ever like with sneakers are like, this is a, this is a little silly. Um, sometimes when I would have, like, I'd be really into a certain colorway and then I'd look in my closet and like, why do I have six pairs of shoes that are all low profiles and similar silhouettes in all the same colors? Exactly what I'm saying. And you just talk yourself into like, oh man, but like, there's like this one detail. It's like, no, I gotta have them. (laughs) When you're in it, you're in it. You know, everyone has like their subsection of culture that they're very into. Yeah. Um, and when I was really into sneakers, it was, I was really into sneakers. Did you have to wean yourself off of sneakers somehow, or do you just make a shift? Because you when got, I stopped you you working in sneakers, yeah. I I slow. No, I don't even know if it was slow. I feel like I rapidly stopped being a part of the community. Okay. It was like like I mentioned, I, but you I did still it until know. you still know. No, I'm not really. Key, I'm Reformed. not really keyed into it. Okay, I'm not really keyed into it at all. But you're um, like a vet, right? Yeah, I mean it's cool like walking around in some of my old sneakers and I'll, I'll like I'll wear them out and people are like, Oh man, I haven't seen those. I actually I knew you were gonna bring it up, so I brought the first pair that I ever bought. <laughs> nice. Um so nice. these are what got me into sneakers. Okay. This was two weeks after working at finish line. These are I'm gonna get a photo of this and, too, because it's uh, on the these Instagram. These are the first shoes that I ever bought oh, nice. that were like sneakerhead. And what are these? These are LeBron nines, Summer Look, Lake Hornets. This is how much I know. With the coffee here, yeah. I think is where it's at. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Let me get you in there too. <laughs> um, yeah. And I walked into work, and they're like, "Oh man, we have a release today." I was like, "A release for what?" I'm like for shoes. Like shoes have releases. So like very, very not in the know. And I saw them, and you know, I didn't. I'm from San Antonio. I don't care about LeBron. <laughs> <laughs> But I saw these and was like, that, that, it was I was like, clicked. Yeah, my manager Rico was like, do you go try them on? So I put them on, I put them on my foot, and I looked at it. I was like, I've never seen a shoe like this. Right. In the colors. Also, these aren't the original laces. The original laces were purple. Oh, but really? I bought, yeah, and this is psycho. I bought the low top versions in these colorway just so I could swap the laces to mod them up. Yeah, because the LeBron <laughs> laces, the aglets, and the front of the lace have the LeBron logo. That's hilarious. And I wasn't going to swap the laces with that LeBron lace. So I bought another pair of shoes to swap the laces and then right. put the other ones with the swap laces so on eBay cool. and sold them. Oh, you sold the laces. Yeah. I sold them immediately after I bought them because I just wanted the laces. That's like um, the crazy thing. You sold laces. No, I sold the shoes with different laces. But I just bought the shoes mm, for the new. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, but I bet you could sell those laces right there. Yeah. Oh yeah, the LeBron laces were going for like $45, $60 a piece at the time. That's true. Yeah. Um I mean these are ten years old yeah. almost. Gotta so, be almost ten years old. Yeah. So um, those those were the the intro. Yeah. I mean I got those in they're over two those are twelve year old shoes, <laughs> I think. And um yeah, I'll never get rid of them. I've had a lot of shoes that I've cycled in and that I've sold. I've had a lot of shoes that were like my favorite, but these are the ones like they were like a hundred and Fifty dollars, which now is like not that shocking for these types of shoes, but yeah. for me, like the box that came in, everything like is an experience. Well, it was a moment for me where I, I think it was the first time in my life I had just, you know, I was not living in San Antonio. I had my own money, yeah, and I love. I've always loved design, but growing up, I never had the opportunity to indulge in those types of things, to have those types of things. Sure. Um, so when it was in front of me, it's like every detail was so thought out. 
I just stared at them. <laughs> like I just loved them because there's just so many small details that were so thoughtfully considered for so many different reasons. Right. I think this was like those shoes were the moment where I felt the most connected to design for the first time in my life. Okay. Um, so started finish line, came yeah. back. Right. <laughs> uh, I left retail. Um, I just wanted to get out. Like I said, I was going to do it until I didn't want to do it anymore. And you hit I the said, wall. like, every time I, I roll that gate up and I'm happy, I'm going to be happy. And then the day came where I opened the store and I wasn't happy anymore and I put my notice in. Okay. I just put like a two month notice in. And I was like, all right, I need some time to figure out what I'm going to do next. And I left. Um, and at the time, I was really into coffee. So I started working in a coffee shop in San Antonio called Local Coffee. Now it's called Merit Coffee. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, That's and, a place. Yeah. I started there and with no experience. And then nine months later, I was the director of training. Oh, there you go. It just completely Fast consumed, completely consumed <laughs> my entire life. Uh, we opened up a roastery right as I had started. So I jumped in and I took over all the training for all the cafes. We grew to six cafes in San Antonio before I left the company. Um, now they have cafes in Austin and Dallas. Do, do you mean in like the same sort of respect that like sneakers might have like been, you know, taking over your life, fun to do, you're into it, like mm-hmm. the same thing, sort of thing with coffee? Yeah. I mean, when I'm putting my creativity towards something, it's it really consumes. That's why I have a like a fair amount of knowledge about a lot of little things. Right. Um, I just really love, I love experiencing. Yeah. I, that's why I don't like waiting for things. It's like, I just, I love absorbing and experiencing and sure. living. And I just <laughs> want to experience and, and live and feel everything that the world has to offer. And like Is all that- these different cultures and communities. And it's just so interesting to me. Um, also, ADHD and fixative, <laughs> yeah, having but to fixate on things New really York, helps that, right? Call it, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely New York. Yeah, yeah that's what like your that will be your stomping mm-hmm. grounds. You just want to experience because even if you're not in line at a coffee shop, that city is always bustling. Yeah, and it's I just want to be in a place that I can indulge my love for design and all things. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think from San Antonio to Austin, I got a next level to that. And I think from going to Austin to New York, I'll get a different level of indulgence and the people around me and the conversations that I'll be able to have. And even the conversations I'm having with this new company I'm going to work for, they've been much more immediately indulgent in these small detail conversations that I love to have, right. especially like pre-opening. You know, I'm talking about the lighting we're using, the direction the lights are pointing, um, like not using mixed lighting, like, what just a lot of really, really, really small things that aren't always thought about, like where our windows facing, where you get sun at certain times of the day, what kind of shadows are we gonna get on certain tables? Things matter. Like, those are all things you can figure out really quickly with like photography apps. You can figure out where the sun's gonna be and if it's gonna shine in someone's eyes if we need certain window elements to cover that so that table's still usable. Right. Um, so I, I worked at local for about three years, I think. Um, and the time came where I just like really didn't have anything to do anymore. Mm-hmm. I had put a trainer in all of our locations. So they were doing the work that I was once doing. And my position kind of just wasn't needed anymore. And I got super bored. And I think the owner saw that I didn't have anything to do and I was getting bored. Um, so I stepped down. They got rid of the position. Um, and then a few months later, I decided I was going to leave. So I left. Um, and then I got a job in Austin at a company called Fleet Coffee. Um, okay. It's over in Weberville, Weberville Road. All right. Um, and I wanted to come work for Fleet because the owners of Fleet were the owners of Locals Barista. I don't know if that tracks. So Robbie Grubbs is the owner of Local. When he was in Austin, 
he went to Cafe Medici, and his favorite baristas, the ones that got him in love with coffee, were now the owners of Fleet Coffee. Okay. So I wanted is like, well, that seems really cool. I want to go um, learn the other side of it from people that have come through the industry. Sure. Um, so I started working at Fleet, didn't move to Austin for the first 10 months. So I was commuting for 10 months from San Antonio to Austin. I mean, that's 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 a good drive. Yeah. I mean, I mean over and especially over. Especially when I have to be there at 6. Oh, God. So I was leaving San Antonio at like 4, and then I would get... How many to fleet and like sleep in my car for thirty minutes? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that can be a lot. Like the commuting, like that's yeah. an hour and a half, right? I'd say. About yeah, yeah. But at least you're in the coffee business, so you can stay awake. <laughs> yeah. Um, so at Fleet, I mostly focus on um, national level competing. So I did the U.S. Barista Championship. Oh wow! Um, in 2018, I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, it's it's a whole thing. It's I awesome. I well, I bet with all the nuances. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. So there's multiple competitions. There's the Brewers Cup, which is a pour over competition. There's a latte competition. There's a cup tasters, which they're tasting like qualitatively tasting like three different cups, and they're picking the one that's not the same. Right. And they're doing it real. It's it sounds easy. It's so hard. It's has. I think it's the I, it's it's very very difficult. Yeah, um, and there's a lot of different other competitions like that. The one I did was the U.S. Barista Championship, which is espresso based. How so, geeked out are these judges? They're like you win, you oh, win. It's <laughs> oh, it's 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 a crazy world to be in, and I, I'm so grateful for it. it I was, mean, it's amazing. All the caffeine that day, they're tasting, oh, they they're really tasting. so they have a lot of judges, and they really have like in the back, they're just like just like shoving saltines into their mouth and yeah. drinking water. Um, <laughs> so the the one that I did. You have 15 minutes, you pick a coffee, you have four sensory judges sitting at a table, and then you have two tech judges that are standing over your shoulders and oh. like crouching down and watching everything, and one head judge. Wow. In that 15 minutes, you're talking about the coffee and an overall like message or theme that you you care about and want to talk about. Interesting. Um, you make every judge an espresso course, a milk course, and then a specialty beverage course. Wow. And then that's everything that happens. Right. There's a lot of other details inside of that, um, but... Yeah. I'm curious. So espresso makes sense. Mm-hmm. The milk. So that's like latte type stuff. You can make you you can make any size milk beverage you want. So cuz when I think like like I never want anything except for black coffee. Yeah. Me personally. Sure. But like maybe there's like a world out there I'm not really messing with. Well, I'll do cold brew with like light cream. That's as as, yeah. as extravagant as it gets. I like cappuccinos. cappuccinos. I go my if I'm drinking espresso, my go to is a cappuccino. Okay. Um depending on how much espresso the shops are pulling, my go to is a cappuccino. Okay. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's a world I ha- I haven't explored. Yeah. I'm just like an old man drinking the black or coffee. Or a cool one if you uh like a barista order is a one in one. One in one, yeah, one in one. So they split your shot, so you get a half, you get a single shot straight as espresso, and then you get a single shot like cortado or single shot cappuccino. So you get a little bit of like a milky drink, and then a little bit of just the espresso. Okay, a one in one is a cool order to do. I I don't know that everyone knows it all the time. Okay, but But if you all feel like, oh, can I get a one in one? They're like, cool. It's like walking (laughs) in a bar and ordering a shot of fernet. And the bartender's like, oh, you've worked in a bar before. If you go into a cafe and you order a one-in-one, they know that you like or think that you worked at the cafe before. Right. I have to like do that for the first time. Mm-hmm. I'll be like, wait, did I say that wrong? They'll be like, how did you hear about this? I'll exactly. be like, I did a podcast with a guy. <laughs> but um, yeah, so there's your their pro tip. 
Farmhouse Delivery launched in 2009 and is now the largest farmer's market in Texas focused on connecting local farmers and ranchers with their communities who are hungry for healthy, organic fare. They also offer curated grocery store items and chef-crafted meal kits through their in-house kitchen. For a limited time, Farmhouse Delivery is offering a free medium local produce box to all Austin All Day listeners. Visit farmhousedelivery.com for more information and use the discount code Austin All Day at checkout. This is a great opportunity. Thank you to all our listeners and thank you to Farmhouse Delivery. Oh, yeah, so there's your their pro tip. Yeah. I think I'm going to explore the uh, the the milk drinks. What was the third one? Um, what do you say? So the espresso, the milk, and then a uh, one in one. Oh no, no for oh, the competition. Oh, oh, specialty beverage. So specialty beverage. What would that be fall under? Like uh, uh, you can make whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, my specialty drinks were psycho. <laughs> they yeah. were crazy. Yeah. I um, I so you have three rounds. You have the the qualifiers, and then you have the semifinals, and then you have the finals, and they happen over the course of a year. So over the, the course of a year, yeah, holy shit. So and normally most people will do the same routine. <coughs> I was very lucky that my company supported me so much and invested in me so much because it's expensive, and it's expensive to do one routine like the same theme, and you're using the same wares and the same equipment. I did three different ones. Wow. And use three different sets of wares and equipment and everything, and we they they financed it. They yeah. financed it and supported well, me the entire way. That's great. Um, so the first round in Denver, I got first place, and I was focusing on just like sensory manipulation. Um, so like, I was using dry ice and pine oil and like sounds to try and tell a story. I was telling the story yeah. of my favorite cup of coffee. Okay. And I was like, as I my favorite cup of coffee I ever had existed out of the cafe. And I love telling that story because I have all this equipment, all this technology in front of me. And I know, qualitatively speaking, I didn't make the best cup of coffee sitting on a floating dock on Pyramid Lake in Alberta. <laughs> That's not what happened. Right. But everything that went into that moment, that cup of coffee, I can still taste. Yeah. And I still feel that feeling in my chest. Yeah. And I remember every detail. So I just told them about that experience in every detail. And then I tried to give a physical stimulation or representation of what I was feeling. Mm-hmm. So um, rain hitting a shore, the waves hitting the shoreline, um, pine mixing in with the air and rain began to fall with the coffee. <laughs> and I was I had these boxes in front of them that underneath like I, would, I had like river rocks and they it looked just like a place setting but underneath I had a bunch of dry ice covered in pine oil and then when I had them close their eyes and then just as the rain began to fall I was pouring hot kettles like water over the rock so it sounded like rain was falling I uh-huh. said the pine mixed in with the coffee saturated air the coffee mixed in with the pine saturated air or whatever this is, this and the pretty- pine oil came out and you started smelling it and then the cold air rolled over us the dry ice was rolling over their lap so uh-huh. you know I was trying to give this story and take them to a place the second one I focused the second routine I did in New Orleans I tried to focus on nostalgia um, and I was trying to test ideas of how to get judges out of their judges mentality, right? Like they spend like 30 minutes before they come out to judge a routine, calibrating and talking about it. And they're very focused, right. so focused. And I thought like, well, what if I could make them not focused? Yeah. <laughs> what if I could jar them and make them like more open to what I was saying? Yeah. Um, so I just took this idea that a, a restaurant did a long time ago. And when they came out, you were allowed to start your music. You had music 
playing and you were allowed to start your music before you call time and started your routine. But the rules never set how far ahead you could start your music. So as soon as they started walking out, I asked the DJ to start my music early. So they were walking out to Pure Imagination from Willy Wonka. Okay. Because I wanted them to know we were going to focus on childhood, but I didn't want to waste my time telling them that. Sure. So as they were walking out, they had entrance music. And then when they sat down, I put in their chair a little toy and they were told they could play with the toy, and then put it down. And it was a mooing toy. You remember those toys, if you picked up and rotated, it would just go, mmm. Maybe, no. No. So it's like a little, it's a little mooing toy. And it was meant to just like make them react to something. Yeah. And like play with it. And sure. like maybe bring back some, some nostalgia. And that's what I did throughout the whole routine. It was like, I had them touch fresh cut grass. And I talked a lot about like childhood. I made up a couple like childhood stories, like try and get them to like relate to it. The, this is like and all around like coffee and then the third routine I thought I went like full like molecular gastronomy like full avant-garde um, I every color every texture everything I was saying and wearing was all meant to fully engulf them in the conceptual thinking of gastrophysics um, and I thought well what if I can make the drink like the specialty drink in front of them the whole time without them knowing that's what I was doing. All right. Um, so I got these cool little plates. Um, well, it's a bowl in the bottom and on it, it's glass and then it attaches to the top. There's a glass plate and there's a hole in the middle that goes down in the bowl. Um, so what I was doing is I had dry ice in the bottom of the bowl. And again, the rules say that you can't add anything to the courses other than what it says you can, but it didn't say I couldn't make them smell stuff. Right. And the heaviest weighted score is, tasting notes. So it's, hey, this coffee has a malic acidity, a uh, sweet to mouth finish, yada, 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 yada. And your judge really heavy on that. It's like, well, if I make them smell blueberry while they're drinking it, it's going to taste like blueberry right. because that's that's how like olfactory works. Right. Um, so I poured, I said, oh, this coffee is going to taste like uh, blueberries and jasmine. And then I poured blue, like uh, dry blueberry puree that I clarified and jasmine tea on top of the dry ice and had put a little restrictor plate on it so it forced the sublimated gas like into their nostrils. I said, lean forward, take a breath, and immediately drink your espresso. Okay. And then the next course was the milk course. Like, great. So now those flavors of blueberry and jasmine mixed with the milk, you're going to add those same flavors. On top of it, it's going to be like a really darkened uh, brioche bread and coconut sugar caramel. So I took brioche and soaked it in water and took that liquid out and then uh, made a coconut sugar caramel solution, poured that on top of the dry ice with the other ingredients, had them lean forward, smell it again, drink their milk drink. And then the final course, I just poured espresso on it. It was like, and then added a couple other things as garnishes. I was like, well, here's your drink. And I took glass, I had little vases in front of them. And inside the vases, I had glass straws hidden. So I took the glass straws out, put them inside the bowl and had them lean forward and drink. And that was their final drink. And then for like a garnish, I had a vase full of uh, lemon oil and dry ice, my favorite ingredient. Um, and, was like, and then poured hot water in that and just dumped it over the table. So the table is covered in like a dry ice, like lemon aroma. I forgot to do it the last the last time I did it. Oh, <laughs> so for like the routine that would have gotten me into finals, uh, like finals, finals. I mean, that is so um, crazy. There's so many details. Yeah. And I want to be a judge. It was really cool. I had a really great time um, and I was really happy with where I finished ninth in the country that year. That's awesome. And I was super did excited. Did they film it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to say, because that sounds... I can't find it. I do have oh. the recording of me doing the one in New Orleans. Yeah. I can't find the one of me doing it in Seattle. But either way, like... You're doing that. I'm sure everyone else is doing something cool. It sounds amazing. Yeah, like it seems like it's something that should definitely be filmed. Or... It's it's very it's very very cool. Yeah. Um, there are people that do a much much better job than I did. Um, I was there to test like crazy. Sorry, 
uh, crazy theories. Yeah. And um, I'm glad that they got me as far as I did because it was a big shot in the dark. You know, the whole idea of me going into it, doing it that hard was I'd only competed one other time before and it did not go well. Okay. I went from like placing like the 200s to placing ninth from my first time to second time. Wow, that's And great. I think those theories had a lot to do with it. And the whole idea was if the biases play a place, you know, um, like the my coach, one of the owners from Fleet, they competed over a dozen times. Everyone in coffee knew who this person was. I would argue that this person created Nitro Cold Brew. Like this person, everyone knew. So when you're walking up as a judge to that stage to judge them and they say, it tastes like this, you are more likely to believe them. Right. But if I walk, if, if my coach and I did the same routine verbatim, all the coffee tasted exactly the same, they would have scored higher than me. Sure. And that's just something I firmly believe. And that's right. what I think is like just scientifically backed. Yeah. So I wanted to go into it. I was like, well, if that's true, what can I do to manipulate people's senses and perception of taste and allow them to be more open to what I'm saying? Right. Um, so that competition, um, I was able to connect with someone at Alinea and get some really good feedback and assistance on like some ideas and design concepts. Um and at the end of it, they invited me up to Alinea um, to you're, go work like, with their sorry, coffee program. I'm booked right now. <laughs> yeah. Maybe next year. Um, which is just crazy. I never thought I would ever be able to eat there, much less work there. Um, it was a dream come true to be a part of that staff. Yeah. Um, so I went there and I worked on the coffee program for like two days. And he had asked like, yeah, come up here, come work, stay for like a month. So I went up and... Um, I hung out in the coffee area. We gave them some like feedback. I was like, I think you're doing a great job. Cool. So then I was just a food runner in Alinea for like about a month. But you, of course, who says no to that, right? The windy city. Was it the winter? Uh, no, no, I was there in, (laughs) I was there in like July and August. Okay. Um, and it was incredible. And that was the first restaurant I'd ever worked in. Oh, wow. Wow. My first restaurant was Alinea. That is ridiculous. Yeah. So, (laughs) um, it was, it was the first week was, Shocking, shocking. Yeah. Um, but I fell in love with it immediately. Yeah, I I was I I just I fell in love with it. I remember my first my first day there. Um, Richard, the person that invited me up, um, he knew how much that restaurant meant to me. I mean, when I watched that Chef's Table episode, um, it felt like the first time that I saw someone else whose brain worked like mine. And thought about things similarly. Um, and it it was so important to me to feel that way. Because I thought that all of my ideas and way of thinking the things that were important to me were like so weird. And just not, had no validity. And um, I felt so comforted and uh, seen and from that episode that I, I came out a week later. Like oh. it was more important for me to like feel seen in my creativity and ideas, and then a week after I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm gay." Right. <laughs> it was it was like a weird thing. I say that I tell that story all the time. Like, what does that have to do with each other? It's like kind of nothing. But to me, the scarier thing was not feeling like anyone would ever understand my brain. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Alinea means a lot to me, and it still does. Well, yeah, that's, and, and if that's the starting point, yeah, that I, was the starting point for me got in restaurants. Spoiled, <laughs> and that was that was 2018. That's pretty awesome. So I've only started. I've only been in restaurants for about four years. Not even four years. So I, I would, I would venture to say you have a knack for what you're doing in hospitality. 
I think I learned fast. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm able to think about things on a very, very small scale. Mm-hmm. And that allows me to have a good understanding of things quickly. Because I, I know I can understand quickly how things work and why they work the way they do. Yeah. Um, so was at Alinea, had a really great experience. Uh, came back, I started working at Laundrette. Okay. As a bartender and server. That would be like our Alinea. <laughs> In a way, right? Because we don't have like yeah. fine dining. I mean, do yeah, we? Yeah. We have like. I mean, Hestia. Hestia's Hestia's pretty, pretty up there. Well, actually, so the 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 like my impromptu mentor from Alinea, whose name is Anil, who really you know comforted me, took me under his wing because he was from Texas. Um, he was a expediter at Alinea when I was there, and now he's the general manager at Hestia. Okay. Um, yeah, so I, I like say that jokingly because there's no Michelin star and stuff, and like everyone's right. walking around their sandals. Well, different. Do you experience. think there'd be Michelin stars if Michelin covered Texas? Uh, maybe no. I mean, here, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I'm sure there would be, but yeah. I just don't know. There would be. Yeah, I mean, people would make space for it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But so laundrette, mm-hmm. right? And that. Um, so I was at laundrette for a little under a year or a year ish. And then I had actually accepted a position at Alinea, um, which was Richard's old position, which was like their coffee and non-alcoholic, like lead kind of position. So we almost lost you to Chicago. Well, I was two weeks away from moving. And then some stuff was going on with my family, just some family illnesses. And I just wasn't feeling... Not the time. It just didn't feel like... You know, Alinea at the time felt like my home. It felt like my family, felt like my people. Yeah. I never felt so understood than when I was there. And I wanted so badly to be there. But there was just something like, it just didn't feel like I could go. Sure. And in retrospect, I'm glad that I didn't. Yeah. Because we lost a few family members very soon, like within a year after that. That's a bummer. I'm glad that I was around for it. Um, so I, I two weeks before I was supposed to move to Chicago, I had to back out. Um, and then I... What did I end up doing? Oh, from there is when I started. I got the job with the meteor as their pre-opening consultant. Oh, okay. And I fo- you know, I was hired to mostly fo- focus on their all their front of house and beverage and hospitality. Um, and I was there to help them get open. So I was just thinking about this on the drive over. I worked as a bartender and server in one restaurant, and then the next thing I did was help open a restaurant. I was gonna say that I was like, how did the Transition go from that to that. Um, the but. owner of the meteor was the founder of Intelligentsia. Oh, that's also mm-hmm. Chicago yeah. stuff. So yeah. he and I had known each other for a while, and I reached out to him when I decided to stick around. Just like you know, asked if he could put his ear to the ground and let me know of any opportunities. That's what I was looking for. Um, and he told me about the meteor, and he said, "Are you willing to bet on yourself?" It's like I'm always willing to bet on myself. Like I know that I have the knowledge and information to do this. Uh, I don't have the experience doing it, but I always feel very confident that I can create the product that is being asked that is asked to be created. Mm-hmm. And I felt I felt like I could do it, and mm-hmm. I feel really good about the job that we did. I mean, the meteor is doing great right now. Great. Um, uh, they're opening up <laughs> many other locations. Super exciting. Um, it's just crazy. That three years ago, uh, where we were at. And the experience we had, and I mean, the meteor is great, and that's one I always hold near and dear to my heart. Kind of like, like those. The kind of the same thing to me. Yeah. Uh, so I went for the meteor, and then I went to Emmer and Rye, 
Um, Emma and I, I did all of the front of house positions. I was back waiter when they did dim sum service. I was dim sum server. I was a server. Um, I did some education classes. I did some like back waiter and server training. Um, and then the pandemic hit and I jumped back in and out from March 15th of 2020 is the last day that I had worked there before the pandemic hit. So then you took your break. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so I jumped back in and out as they brought us back and then we had to close again. They brought us back. We had to close mm-hmm. again. Um, and I did that until around August of 2020. And then I accepted a job with a hospitality group here in town, um, Excelsior Management. Oh. Um, they do Juniper, Uncle Nicky's. They have oh. a few like they have a few other contracts where Isn't they consult the for Juniper, other places. So don't. Oh yeah, that's. I think the Uncle Nicky's was affiliated with the uh, Via guys too, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Bit, um, yeah. And uh, Nickel City, kind of. The Hunt Brothers. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the, again, they hired me in that position of folk coming in and being the director of beverage and hospitality, mm-hmm. but the real focus was me helping them open a bar. Um, in downtown Austin called Codependent. Really? Um, Have I, is that, did that open? Yeah, it's open. How, I've never heard of Codependent, but that's cool. a great name. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's next to a, well, it's, it's primarily owned by a design company. Okay. Um, whose name I'm forgetting. Um, like an interior design company. But it's access, like public access, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, but it was built as an interior design project. Oh, interesting. Um, so the furniture alone in that place was like over a million dollars. Wow. They did the spend. And for me, I was like, oh, well, this is amazing. I yeah. get to work with a design company on sure. designing a restaurant, but also talk about the design. Yeah. And that was a really fun project uh, on the pre opening side. Um, and then when they got their management structure figured out, um, I didn't have to be really there mm-hmm. focusing on it. Um, and then the pandemic spiked up again and business hit so hard they no longer had the funding for a lot of the higher level positions yeah. so we got phased out which is you know it happens uh, and that's when it took some time off mm-hmm. and then from there is when I got connected with Michael mm-hmm. uh, forthright nice yeah Mr. Uh, Mr. Swale mm-hmm. holding it down doing his thing he's and meanwhile he's over Vitamin drip right now, cold plunge <laughs> sauna. That's his all at the same time kettlebell workout. Yeah. Um, well, that's yeah. That is quite the that's the the tale there, leading up to this moment right here. Yeah, I mean, I think on my four year anniversary of being in restaurants, I'll have just opened our first restaurant in New York City. Oh, that's uh, that's exciting. That's yeah. a good timeline. And we have three this year, I think. Cool. Yeah. That's good. So, you, so you're going to stay busy. Mm-hmm. So we have two segments here on this pod cool. that we'll get into. One is called Potty Talk, and it is your favorite restaurants or uh, bathrooms that you've been into around town. Oh. And this is sponsored by Bucky's. They just don't know it yet. Oh, I love that. Oh, okay. Because I love how bad everyone's bathrooms are. <laughs> um, so you could go with worst. Yeah. <laughs> or best. Um. Okay. Well, I'm a big fan of uh, bathrooms that are like just a shared hallway with individual doors in general. So anytime so you have your own stall, mm-hmm. thing. but wow. it's not like going into like a like a gendered restroom. They're just all like, you know, they all have everything. They're just doors in a hallway, and then there's like communal sink somewhere. Yeah. Um, so I love Hestias. Okay. Hestias are great. Um, Emmer and Rye. 
Um, they play uh, culinary podcasts in their bathrooms, which Do is they very, really? yeah, very, very soothing. Um, <laughs> I love that. Uh, and have you see. ever heard this on there? <laughs> no, I have not. Okay. They play the same three episodes. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, we should see if we can get in the mix. Uh, Codependence bathrooms are very beautiful. I think Codependence, um, I need to check out. the same place that I've worked at. <laughs> um, where, I mean, all of MML's businesses are yeah. always very thought out. Very, that, all yeah, of them. Yeah. I mean, South Congress Hotel, I think, are very pretty. Yeah. Um, man. We've heard like hotels in general. Yeah. I mean, because they're the ones that are focusing on design the most and they yeah. have the ability to because they have the most money. Um, man. If you take Bucky's in the places you've worked out of the equation, it's hard. I'm going through all the places that I I eat at. Uh, I'll mm. I'll tell you while you're thinking the mm-hmm. way that this started was Old Thousand. They're like Biggie Smalls wallpaper. Oh, that's yeah. literally we're like, well, yeah. time for a new segment yeah. here. What's some interesting bathrooms here in town? Um, we've gotten some good ones. Yeah, what have been some of the, the highlights? Oh my, oh my god! I mean, we've heard anything from like dingy hole in the walls, like the worst bathrooms ever. We're like peeing in a hole. Yeah, um, like emos, the old emos, apparently. And then what? Um, there's a place next to Lazarus Brewing. On it's like a uh, Caribbean maybe place. Kanji? Yes. That's one of MRI's restaurants. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, ATX FYI was just on. She brought that up. Mm-hmm. It's not aired yet, but yeah. that you know, that was one recent one. Yeah. Um they're they're all over the place, the answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess those are some of my favorites. Yeah. Mm, I can't think of another one off the top of my head that's not a hotel. Yeah. It's um, fine. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so the other segment we have is mm-hmm. uh, what are you eating here in town? And I like to think of this as it's always the where are we eating tonight? And no yeah. one knows. It's we want to eat here, we want to eat there. So like fast forward to this part, here's some suggestions. Uh, well, that's an interesting question for me now because I kind of have like a list of things I want to have before I move out of town again. Okay. Um, one of my favorites in town is Boteco. Okay, yeah. It's a food truck. Yeah, uh, Brazilian food, so good. Yeah, uh, they mostly pretty much just have the picanha, uh, but it's great. Um, I just did Emmer and Rye. I mean, I think Emmer and Rye. I know that I work there, but it is to me the most important restaurant in the state of Texas. <coughs> Excuse um, me. As far as what they represent, okay. It's it's about it's food from Austin. It's food that grows here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's really beautiful and it's really really good and it's different every single time. Um, man, what are some other places? I love Bird Bird Biscuit. <laughs> Bird Bird Biscuit. Nixta, I'll probably go to again. I do a, I'll go by again. Nixta is always the best. Do you yeah. get the dessert at uh, Nixta? No, I haven't had the dessert at Nixta. To order dessert. Okay. Because there's something that happens. And I sound like a broken record, but I have to just tell you because you probably won't listen to any of these. You have to hear this. So if you're at Nixta, if you order dessert, mm-hmm. like, Everything changes. Like all of a sudden, the light gets dimmer, the music slows down a little, and you're like looking at the table next to you. Like, are they having? No, they're on their entree, and you're just like everything kind of becomes more mellow. It happens every time to me. See if it happens to you. Gotta get dessert and mix up. Yeah. Um, They're like that was peyote, Jason. (laughs) 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 But no, it's every time. It's like the atmosphere really changes. It's very pleasurable. I love that place. So great. Yeah, it's very, very good. Um, 
I can't think of other places around Thelma that had the That's be, okay. You know? That's okay, though. But, like, I'm sure you will miss some places when you're gone. Yeah, I'm going to miss a lot of places. Yeah. Um, but I also am very excited for the amount of different styles of a cuisine I'll have readily available to me. I mean, I'm from Chicago, the Chicagoland area, I have to say, because of the suburbs, right? You have to preface that. But, you know, hearing Austin was a food town. I mean, we're like living here now and being here for like a decade. Right. It is, right? There's food everywhere. It's great food. Mm -hmm. But coming from a big city like that and then just like the how many different options there were, I was like, what? This is not a food town. There was so many, th- we had to grow a lot, but we've grown right. a lot in 10 years too. I think that when people talk about Austin in that sense, it's like, yes, it's a small town with big city big city amenities, mm-hmm. right? Like when you compare it to Chicago or to New York or Bay Area or how have you, uh, there's a lot of the similar thing. That's why people like when they're from, if they're from Portland or Nashville or Denver, like, you know, Denver's a lot like Austin. You know, Portland, it's a lot like Austin. <laughs> it's, it's cities that have really great quality things. Sure. But limited amounts of it. Yeah. And I think, yeah, Austin has a lot, like the top tier is a lot bigger of a top tier than most cities. Sure. Um, but it's, it's a small town. It's small, yeah. It's small. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, you will have fun in New York. I, yeah, I'm I very excited. No doubt. And, I mean, God, there's going to be so much. And one of the restaurants we're opening is in Brooklyn, so I'm going to be have to be in Brooklyn a lot too, so it's just like an entirely other city. Right. Yeah. That's great though. You're gonna have to get down with some pizza. Do we see some Brandon uh pizza reviews in the future? <laughs> one minute on YouTube? The one by like pizza that. guy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> but thank you for joining me on the podcast. I think it's been a long time coming because we met. We had mentioned it a while ago, yeah. Long, long time ago. Mm-hmm. And it feels like a lifetime since then, but we're doing it. And this is your this is your goodbye. Farewell to yeah. Austin. I've had the same words floating in my head the last week or so, which is all that you gave me. And I'm thinking, it's like, all that you gave me um, is a lot about what Austin gave me, what this time in my life gave me, and I'm very grateful for it. Um, and I'm I'm very happy the way that I'm being able to leave the city, the time I'm maybe able to leave the city. And uh, I'm just very grateful for everything that I've been given over my time here um and grateful for your time thanks for inviting me oh absolutely yeah Yeah, i think i think you'll be missed and um come back appreciate it come visit (laughs) holler when you do i will